Hi, it's Brian, Brian Janikowski, Friday, August the 10th. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Takenverts, and let's get started with this week's market chat, Christian. So we're coming to the end of earnings season here. Can you just give us an update on what we've seen and how, do we, how, how should we interpret these results? Well, we've seen really knockout earnings. Uh, I mean, there really hasn't been a sector or a, or, or, a, or a major company which is disappointed. And we knew that coming out of the first quarter, where already companies were reporting 11, 12, 13% year-on-year earnings growth, that it would be good because we'd have another a full quarter uh, and planned quarter of the tax uh, cuts coming in coming into place. So the numbers are pretty amazing. So 20, 25% uh, year-on-year earnings growth is um, it was uh, was not untypical in the in the reportings that we saw. Um, again, we've talked about it here. A lot of that is just a straight tax cut. You reduce the tax corporation tax from 35 to the low 20s. In effect, and you've got immediately a, a, an earnings per share gain, uh, gain of about of about of about uh, 12, 13 percent. But um, margins were were good. Uh, the tech sector was generally uh, pretty strong. I know we saw bad bad uh, earning forecasts, forward statements from Facebook, but the actual earnings weren't, weren't, weren't bad at all. So. I think uh, the market has fully anticipated this, and really now for the rest of the year, um, the question is: Is it going to be able to maintain that 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 high rate of growth? And I don't think that I don't think it will be able to sustain quite that level of earnings growth. So you attribute most of these earnings to just the straight tax cut benefit? Well, no, I think no. To be fair, there are other still forces at work. I mean, uh, you know, there's been organic sales growth. Um, the uh, Trade wins, trade uh, um, sort of arguments, and various different tariff threats probably didn't help things. But some sales were brought forward. We know that in order to beat the tariffs imposed on July thirty first, so July the first. So there's probably some some smaller increase there. But no, it was sort of the ongoing um, uh, managing of expenses. A little a bit of organic growth across the S and P was probably you know six, seven, eight uh, percent. Certainly more for some sectors. And then, of course, the amount of cash was just being thrown off by companies meant that the share buybacks were were very generous. I mean, I, I think the number I saw recently there was about a one trillion dollars worth of uh, of share buybacks uh, announced, which is a huge number on a twenty three trillion dollar market cap of the S and P. I mean, that's close to three percent. So, um, so that's so that I think it's just been a combination of you know ongoing good um, uh, tailwinds, really. You said, though, that you do not expect the growth uh, to potentially last. And why is that? Well, I think some of the uh, global growth has come off the boil a bit. We've seen that uh, in PMIs, so that's um, um, some manager, professional sort of manager surveys across the, across the globe have been a little less bullish uh, in the last you know, couple of months. Um, some, uh, you know, we know that China's been off a little bit uh, in terms of its growth. Um, the U.S. obviously had a strong quarter, but uh, as we discussed earlier, that I think a lot of that was one-off events, which are not likely to repeat repeated as we go into the third quarter. So we'll see some little, little bit of uh, you know general organic GDP growth uh, slackening off a little bit in the in the third and fourth quarter. So uh, I just think um, you know I, the rest of the margins, sales, you know earnings. Uh, Interest rates are a little bit higher, so that's going to affect some, you know, companies with uh, having to renegotiate or uh, reissue debt. 
So it'd just be difficult to maintain that, that level of, uh, of earnings growth, I think. So we've seen some ticking up, reported ticking up of inflation lately. And I'm wondering, you wrote about the base effect in the blog this week. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that is and, and why uh, that might uh, factor into these inflation numbers. Yes, so you're right. So today, Friday, we saw some headline inflation numbers, which were pretty high compared to the standards that we've had really post-recession. You know, we've very rarely broken much above 2%, and I think the headline number was uh, closer to 2.5, But the base effect is coming in because this time last year, we had uh, the wireless cell phone uh, rates and plans had a big price drop. Now, we mentioned that at the time. It wasn't really a price drop. It's just they gave more unlimited time and, uh, and, and data for the same level of price. But anyway, the way that gets recorded in the CPIs is a price decrease. So, you know, this time last year, we were looking at year-on-year decreases in cell phones uh, prices of about 25%. Well, those price, those price changes, you know, if they went from 125 to 100 a year ago, now they're at about 101, 102. So that base effect is, is you know, going year over year is now sort of working against the inflation okay. numbers. So that we know is true. The same is true for gasoline prices, which uh, which were very low about a year ago and sort of really took off in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, and so so for this, for this quarter, we saw... Uh, uh, sorry, last month we saw 25% year-on-year gasoline prices, but but that will get less as we get uh, through the year because the, the gasoline prices started to increase, as I said, about third quarter last year. So those are the big base effect. And the other one is the used cars and the used cars prices, which is a surprisingly large component of the CPI, uh, really took off in the post-hurricane season. So that was clearly, you know, people whose primary automobile or truck was wrecked and they went out into the secondhand car market because that's what the insurance companies would have covered and that boosted used car prices so those two will sort of uh, will 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 change as we uh, as, as we go through the year so those I, I kind of strip all these things out i think we're looking at an underlying rate of inflation of just under two percent and that's throwing in the uh the, the rent the living component as well as sort of you know the more sticky prices of the CPI. I don't think it's enough really to affect the Fed's uh, glide path of reduce of increasing rates two more times this year. And I don't think there's anything really in those CPI numbers which will get them unduly worried. And at the other point, what we did see on Friday as well, which got a lot less headlines, was that uh, real average hourly earnings were down year on year. And the number of hours wheat hours worked per week was down. So that doesn't bode particularly well for, you know, high levels of consumer spending, which is what I think the Fed would be concerned about if they saw wage increases and general CPI increases together, they'd be more concerned. But with just the CPI numbers moving, I don't, and plus plus the the known uh, base effect, um, I I don't think it's going to be a major concern. So you're not buying the the narrative that inflation is just around the corner. No, (laughs) no. People have been wanting to have the uh, inflation is just around the corner um, sort of scare story since about 1981. And and really, if you look at the long term for the, you know, pretty much since the mid 80s, when inflation was slowly squeezed out of the economy, we've had trouble 
getting much above three percent, and and if it's sort of in between two and three, um, usually it's been choked off either by you know a recession. I don't think we're talking about a recession, imminent recession, but uh, slightly higher rates, um, and and generally, it does. I don't I don't think we're going to be seeing inflation consistently north of uh, of three percent, and it would take a lot to get it to move to that side. You'd have to see wages increase. And we just haven't had that. We talked about that so many times, and um, that seems to be, you know, just around the corner. But if companies aren't going to give wage increases when they've had a massive reduction in their tax uh, rates, I'm not sure when they will. Would we see any sort of inflation from a protracted trade battle with with China? Yes, uh, we, we could. It'll be it'll be isolated. The one that stands out is the washing machines. So. Uh, before there was steel, there was washing machines. In other words, the steel and aluminum tariffs were announced in March and April, got everyone uh, uh, awake and aware. But the washing machine tariffs have come in a little bit before that. And washing machine prices are up about 25% year over year. And that was specifically a tariff target aimed at the Korean manufacturers. So yes, you could see um, some some increases in in some of the some of the in some goods. It's difficult to pin it down because China mostly exports, other than things like completed cell phones and you know some other electronic goods. A lot of what they export to the U.S. are intermediate goods. So the list of export tariffs for for China is you know is is a hundred pages long of of items which you know, go into the production of a lot of other products. So it's difficult to see exactly how many other will actually get fed through to final prices. But yeah, for sure, trade, the full imposition of the trade tariffs at the full 25% on the full $500 billion of imports that China does to the US would hurt. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I think there's some concern that that might happen. But what we've tended to see is a bit of a gap between the rhetoric and the implementation. And I think the markets are, you know, perhaps mistakenly so, a little com- not convinced that the full, you know, tariffs will, will go through. So we'll wait and see. Speaking of trade, there was an incident today uh, with, with the president tweeting out um, his concerns around uh, trade deficits with Turkey and the, the lira did take a nosedive. Yes. Um, is there any sort of um, risk that this instability in Turkey could uh, affect global markets? Well, uh, that's a good question. If you look at it sort of very clinically, it shouldn't because Turkey's entire GDP is about $870 billion, mm-hmm. um, And its stock market is less than 1% of the emerging markets index. So it shouldn't have a big narrative on uh, on world growth in the first one or even emerging markets. But I think there is a concern that it may not be contagion. You can't necessarily see that a lot of other countries will follow in Turkey's footsteps. The Turkey's had a lot of you know mismanagement, a bit like Argentina entirely on its own. But there'd definitely be some concern. I mean, um, the, the the kind of companies that are exposed to Turkey, which are most vulnerable, are going to be European banks. So the last thing the European banks need to do is start writing off loans that it's made to Turkish enterprises. So there'll be a little bit of that. Uh, and I think the reaction will be uh, perhaps greater than its actual significance should permit. But, you know, these, these stories are quite often enough for people to reach for the sell button on emerging markets. Mm. And as we've mentioned, 
you know, we don't particularly like the, the story and the narrative, and we saw a 25% depreciation of its currency in less than a week. And that's, uh, that, that is, um, I, I can't remember the last time I, I saw something that big of a, of a currency that that's, well, that, that's that uh, highly traded. Mm. So, yeah, there's definitely some concern, but um, yeah, I, I don't think it sort of undermines the sort of strong, uh, str- longer, stronger uh, bull case for emerging markets. Great. And uh, finally, you had a very interesting chart uh, in the blog, and it was comparing uh, the S&P 500 with the S&P 500 total return. Um, And that is just uh, reinvesting the 2% dividends um, yielded by the S&P 500. Can you just talk a little bit about that and and why reinvesting dividends matter so much? Well, yes. So so the basic headline S&P that we all read about is price only. And um, I think, you know, the chart that started in 1998, I think, something like that, um, you know, showed that, uh, sorry, about 1988 that, uh, you know, $100 would have turned into about uh, $1,000 over that time for a price. But if you've been in the dividend reinvestments, it would be twice that. And the answer, and the reason for that is simply that the S and P pays quarterly dividends, and if you roll those dividends, so roughly 0.5 percent a quarter, roughly two percent dividend yield on the S and P goes up, goes down, but that's not a bad, you know, average number. And reinvested those straight away, uh, your returns would have been twice as great. And the other way to think about it is, say, the long-term returns on on the S and P are eight percent. They've been actually higher than that, but we'll use a lower number for conservative purposes. And if the yield is 2%, then that's a full quarter of your return, which you're going to get through dividends being reinvested. And the price one is only going to, is not going to include that. So uh, it's really compounding at 8% versus 6%. And we all know from our compounding mm-hmm. uh, over long time um, lessons that that is a very, very big number. So our, our lesson is that... Um, is that you know dividends really do count? They're very important in the long term. They're an important part of uh, of um, of total return. They, as you reinvest them into the S and P, that should be a sort of very good discipline to to stick to. And um, while we've only had you know one all time high on the S and P this year, so back in January, we've had about five all time highs on the S and P with dividends reinvested. So it's not a particularly glamorous or exciting part of the market to talk about, but it's very important. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks, Emily. And here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investments, investment trading, including our research investment process, represents our, our investments, investment trading, the day of this commentary. Subject change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can guarantee that such investment will present the best or attractive risk adjusted investment in the future. So for general purposes only, Roman sister and individual securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. Securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful and unsuccessful investments. Buyers do not represent all the securities we have purchased or the recommended. Although we deem reliable sources of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements on numerical data. Past points, no indication of future results.